Hello. Hi. I'm Dina Schottenkirk, and this is Talk Popsy. Thank you for walking in from the Center for Fiction, right? Yes. Great. Your name is? Danielle. Danielle. And tell me, Danielle, what do you do? I work John? as a software engineer. So it's in New York, right? Yes. Great. Wonderful. All right. So this is kind of a little bit about the project, right? I always sort of tried to tell somebody at the beginning. So we've been doing this for several years, right? And, and it's kind of part of a larger kind of art philosophy project. So it's sort of topic driven and it's in it kind of whatever topic I'm working on at the time. So I do both visual work and then book publishing on a particular topic. So the topic that I'm working on right now is artist cognition. But lots of philosophers step into the tent and kind of take my place. So a lot of philosophers will do exactly what I'm about to do, which is to say, so what do you think about art? And in what way do you think it's cognition or what do you think it's doing when we experience art? And you can talk about any kind of art you want, visual, literature, dance, okay. music. Okay. Um, Matt, what's like the def, I'm, this sounds silly, but like what's oh, as cognition meaning like how yeah. we process it? Is yeah, kind of super question? good question. Super good question. Yeah, what is the definition of, right, this was Socrates' point. Always start with definitions. So you are on target, right? <laughs> well, okay, so there are different definitions, right? So a lot of people think, right, that cognition is kind of more tied to logic, right? And that you have logic on the one side and feeling on the other, right? Mm -hmm. I don't kind of subscribe to that. So I think of cognition as a much more inclusive brain-body activity, you know, because in fact, what we know now about the brain, right, involves things like the amygdala and like the limbic system right. and things like that are in, that are emotional reactions to the world. Right? So I think to think of emotions as separate from thinking is probably inaccurate. Right? So that's kind of where I'm going in general with the project. You sort of got, you okay. got it off the bat there. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the question is how I believe art is cognition. Or do you think it is not? I mean, you can take um, the other stance also. Right? I think, I mean, the creation of art, I feel like in a lot of ways for the artist, I am not an artist, never have been able to be an artist, but I do think in a lot of ways it allows people to process their, it's like an expression of what's going on in their brain and yeah. inside their head, a way to process information. Some people use it as like a, as a therapy tool to um, work through things or um, like they're trying to tell a story, uh, connect to other people in a certain way. I mean, bottom line, I feel like everything that we perceive is connected to our, our brain cognition absolutely in its yeah own way, so. right. can I just make can I just mm -hmm. emphasize two points that you made right there yes sure. okay so one was you started out which is super interesting right you started out talking about how how art might function for the artist which right. is unusual most people start out talking about how art functions for the viewer right? right but I think you're right to start there I think you're absolutely right yeah. to start there right and to sort of say in what way is this their way of figuring out the world right right I think that's right, right? Yeah, because I think, yeah. I mean, a lot of the time, sure, they're doing it for us to, to view it. And, and it's it's a creation of, like, I guess the idea is you put art in museums, it's like, it would the art, it's kind of the, the tree, does, if a fall, tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, did it make a sound kind of thing? Yeah. Like, what is art art if nobody's actually seeing it? Yes. So I do think to, like, a, a big person, big part of the, the sphere of art is coming from the artist itself um, so I do think that that's like the, the main um, like a, this, the first step to thinking about so, so let, let me ask you 
to delve into that one a little bit deeper. So your thought was that, that an artist starts, in, I, it sounds like you're doing visual art, is that right? No, just in, in just general, if you right, think about right. writing or, or dance okay. or anything. Okay, it's... all right, so I'll, I'll broaden it. So the artist is sort of taking what is an inner experience, sort of an inner phenomenological experience, right? This is how my body feels in this space and in this time, right? And makes that somehow evident to other people, right? So then when other people experience it from a third person perspective, they get to experience the third person version of that first person initial experience of the artist, yeah. right? So in that way, it's cognitive, I think you're saying, because that first person experience to somehow been embedded in the object or in the artwork. Right. Right. That then is now evident symbolically for right. the viewer. Right. Is something like yeah. that. Because right. without, I mean, without the experience and the lived experiences and the, and the, the way that the person who made the art um, started, uh, like without the way their brain works and processes information, the art wouldn't be unique. Like it's the, the art is tied to how that person, the artist, um, kind of synthesizes the world. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably the right word, synthesizes, right? Uh, yeah. You know, there was somebody in this tent last month when we were here, also in finance, although I, I mentioned him earlier, right? Mm -hmm. A lawyer. And he made this point, tell me what you think about it, that he thinks that what art does is embeds always a little kernel of fun in it, right? All kinds of art, low art, high art, everything. And that what that little fun is doing is problem solving but problem solving in a way that's fun, both for the artist and for the viewer. And that, and they said that normally what we do in life is just like problem solving, it's very stressful. But art is a kind of problem solving that's not stressful because it's something that tells us about ourselves and about other people, which is a really important problem to solve. Yes. But you don't completely agree, I, I can tell by your face. I yeah. don't completely agree, I think, in the yeah. sense that I don't, I don't know where the fun comes in. In certain ways, when you view art or read a book or, or process, um, an art piece that someone made that's about their lived experience or something, it's not very fun. Because sometimes it, like you said, it reveals things about us and reveals things about other people. And sometimes it reveals things that really aren't very fun. That, that is you true. never thought about before or, or parts of the world you didn't know worked a certain way. And like, there's a lot of books that I've been reading recently, which are, I try to pick books that expose myself to stories of other people, that, that things that are different than my day-to-day -day life. Mm. Um, and I think some of that, or just more, um, being more in tune um, with, again, how the world works, learning about, um, I don't know if, does nonfiction, it's kind of a non sequitur how does, does nonfiction writing count, count as uh, art? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, normally, right, normally it doesn't, right, but I know what you're talking about. I mean, I've read nonfiction books, too, where I was taken so thoroughly into that world right. that it is the same as a fiction right. in that way. Right. One time when I was talking to the people here at the Center for Fiction, I said, well, it's kind of funny that philosophy is going to have a home at the Center for Fiction because I guess we don't think of ourselves as writing fiction. We think of ourselves as writing the truth. Right. Right. And she said, this Melody, who was she said, yes, but writers also think they're telling you the truth. Right. Right. <laughs> and I was like, that's true right yeah. That's <laughs> yeah so I don't know about the fun thing I do still yeah. enjoy reading books that are tough to read so I guess there's kind of a kernel of fun in it still, yeah but I don't know that it's inherently yeah I don't know that's a tricky one it, again it probably revolves around the definition of pleasure and fun right exactly. you know like yeah. what are we talking right. about when we say that right yeah what I mean probably 
it's pleasurable in a certain way or you probably wouldn't do it. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't subject myself to something right. that I didn't enjoy. Right. It's pleasurable in the sense that I feel like I'm learning something new and I'm being exposed yeah. to something that I haven't experienced before and that kind of thing. But right. Um, right. Okay. So let's take that. Right. So when you experience something, and I guess we're going to envelop nonfiction into our category of art. I think that seems to be the direction we're going, sure. right? So when you're reading something, nonfiction or fiction, right? And it's distressing in some ways, right? It's distressing. Um, tell me about what happens in that process. Like in that process, in what way is that cognitive? And what way is it not cognitive? Like what do you think you get out of the situation there? Um, hmm. Well, it does require a level of cognition in that you're processing like a story or, or information, even though it's, um, you're not interpreting. I mean, you are kind of interpreting it in its own way um, in the sense that it's new information. So I think, I mean, any new information has to be like processed by your own cognition. Mm -hmm. Um, if I am understanding Yeah, yeah, I think that's right, right? Um, so I do think that's something, I read a book recently that was, it was the story of an actress who was talking about her life as a young actress in a TV show that I grew up with. And what was the name of the book, um, do you remember? It's called I'm Glad My Mom Died. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Um, yeah, and the front cover is her holding, like smiling and holding an urn. It's very like tongue-in-cheek sort of memoir um, as a whole. Um, but it's the story of how kind of as a young actress, she never really wanted to get into acting and she had an abusive mother and it was kind of her mom pushing her through this world. And I, having seen the TV show growing up, that she was in on Nickelodeon and perceived it as this super fun, silly show. You only see part of the story mm. and then realizing what was going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Now I could never imagine seeing the show the same way ever again, yeah. knowing what that actress was going through. And I, do, I don't necessarily think her purpose of writing the book was to ruin the show for everybody. Um, I think it wasn't that at all, but it does kind of have that effect. So, um, I think that's the interesting thing about nonfiction is that it kind of changes, um, like once you read it and moving forward, it can kind of changes changes the way that you process the world too and how you think about things. Yeah, you know, you said something earlier about that all perception is really a kind of cognition, right? Right. right? And so, like, if you think about that, like, you know, we edit out so much of what we see, right? You, you know, we process in cicades, right? And there's like four or five per second, right? But there's so much that we yeah. don't see. You know, I don't know, you know that psychological experiment where they had a gorilla walk across a basketball court and most people didn't see it, right? Because, you know, you just there's don't, just so much you, you, know, there's, you know, you, you don't see everything that's around you. So we edit hugely. So, you know, your experience of that Nickelodeon show, you know, was a really edited experience which was what it was supposed to be, right? But then when you start to add in all of the things that you missed, right. now the whole is constituted by different parts. Mm -hmm. So now when you think of that TV show, it's got different constituents in it, right? right? And one is this traumatic background story of the actress, right. you know, whose mother was perhaps not so kind to her, right? And so it's, it's funny, right? Like, 
that shifting of perspective, you know, right. like whenever we, you're right, you know, whenever we see something, it's a kind of like letting things into our world. But it seems to me that what happens is that because we're always letting in new bits of information, we're always sort of reconstituting what that whole is. So it's a very, our world yeah. is made of these very fluid objects. We think that it's solid, you know, like your TV show when you were a kid is like the solid yeah. object, right? But all of a sudden it's kind of become imploded and it's become a different object for you. Yes. Right? Yes. And I feel yeah. that in a lot of, I mean, a lot of nonfiction can do that. Yeah, but fiction can too. It can also. Right, 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 because it gives you a different perspective on what it's like to live that life. Mm -hmm. Right? Definitely. You know, if, I don't know if you read about you know, 14th century peasant life in France right. or whatever, you know, fiction, yeah. you'll like look at that historical moment differently. Right. Right? Yeah. And I mean, movies do the same thing, and, and uh, music is its own whole. Um, so, world. all right, so let's go back to the beginning, right? So let's go back to the beginning. So. Is art, do you think, a kind of cognition in the way that, I guess we define cognition, which was determining the environment that we're in, right? Um, and you, you seem to be arguing here that art has this um, function in your life of kind of always adding little droplets to the whole picture that you're building up. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that, and I think yeah. mu like other. There's so many different art forms that can can do that. They like enhance your life in different ways. I mean, music. The music has a very interesting cognitive effect. Of like, I at the beginning of this year, I decided to create a a playlist where every single day I add a song to the playlist, just one song each day. So by the end of the year, I would have 365 songs in this playlist, and each the the choice of song for that day can be a variety of different factors. It's either a song that I, I heard just in the street that day, a song, sometimes I'll get a song stuck in my head and I'll listen to it a million times in one day. And I wanted a way to kind of track that. Uh, or just randomly, like if I'm in the park one day, I'll find a song titled In the Park or something, just like any sort of symbolic connection to that day. Mm -hmm. And then when I go back and listen to the beginning, I do it a couple sometimes where I'll go back and listen to the playlist from the beginning and it feels like it's somehow taking me back through the year. Yeah. Um, and that's a very kind of mental brain cognitive experience of like those those songs are connected with memories to me or a certain emotion or a certain like time of year even and being able to kind of process it, it kind of allows you to reprocess that time period of your life. Um, Somebody else has talked about this, right? And I've thought a lot about this, and I don't know what the answer is. So, m music has this way of having us remember the time and place when we heard it, right? Yeah. It's like music and, and smell. That and that. smell, right, yeah. right. Now, why? Other art forms don't. Right. But I think, um, back to what you said about kind of how we edit so much of what we see and experience throughout the day because visually we're processing so much. I think maybe auditory and smell is less kind of edited. Not that it's less edited, but I feel like we focus on it less throughout the day. When we walk down the street, we're thinking more about what we're seeing than 
at least me personally, you do think about what you're hearing, but it kind of becomes more background noise than anything. And smells, smells and sounds, you only really notice when they... There's a radical change. It's a radical change, right? Yeah, you're yeah. walking down the street. Right now, I couldn't tell you what it smells like, but if like a bakery just started baking bread across the street and it wafted over, I could tell you it smells like bread because there was kind of a change or something new and different. And I feel like... You know, this is um, this is one of those times where it was, we need to have a, a neuroscientist on right. call, right? But I wonder if it's that, and I don't even know if they would know the answer to this, but I wonder if it's because smells and auditory things are experienced much more non-consciously than perception. We tend to think of visual perception as conscious perception, which is not true, right? In the in the in the comment of there's so much that you don't see, right? right? You will see it peripherally, right? right. In, and we have different access to things that we foveate on and things that we peripherally see, right? But things that we hear or things that we smell, were it's like a a lower level of awareness. Yes right yes. and it almost seems like it seeps into the body and it's a more embodied kind of experience yes you know than some perceptual things which are more i think tied to linguistic and conscious perception is that yeah. what you think yeah i think so i mean yeah. i realized recently not that recently back in 2020 i got covid at a certain point oh. and i lost my sense of smell for like two months and you don't realize when you can smell that you can smell and you also don't really realize when you can't smell that you can't smell i don't know how to, it's like such a secondary experience but i realized yeah. that like little things that you tie smell to my mom and i baked a banana bread and suddenly we were like oh half the fun is gone we can't even smell it like half the fun is the house smells like bananas or whatever and so yeah. but it's still it's like tied to specific things versus like an overarching change uh -huh. like if i if i went blind it would be a constant thing that i would be noticing but like smells again it's a secondary i only noticed it when i would like get out of the shower and realize oh i don't smell good i just feel <laughs> I'm like, i know i'm clean but how would i know kind of like yeah. wet and cold and yeah. it's like you lose the there's certain things that are enhanced by smell yeah. and and sound. I mean, sound is a little bit different because we that's how we communicate. Um, yeah, and it positions us physically in the world, sound does. Right. Right, you know, that you know things are coming from one direction right. or another, right? So sort of like the echolocation of right. bats, right? We kind yeah. of can position ourselves, right? Yeah. So I think maybe music makes us remember where our bodies were at a particular time and place. Yeah, that's right? interesting. Right, yeah. right, because I think it kind of works like that. Mm -hmm. At least this is what I, I have been thinking about this for like the past month. After somebody yeah. else said it to me, I was like, what is that? Yeah. And I've been pondering this, but haven't. Yeah. I think yeah. it also, because it has, I mean, music can have such a strong emotional connection as well. Um, yeah. Makes a big impact. Not that, I mean, at least for me personally, I haven't experienced much like emotional reactions to um, like, visual art as much unless mm -hmm. it's like a movie or I mean yeah. again uh -huh. or video or dance or play or something but I think another thing when you're listening to music and smelling something you're also experiencing something else at the same time but when you're so then it gets kind of tied to a memory but if you're watching a movie or looking at a piece of art you're I mean you could be listening to music as well so I guess that's a little 
yeah. different, but again, it's like the but music places you in ways. Music that, places yeah. you in ways because it's not fully taking up everything that you're experiencing. It's like you're doing something and you're hearing this song, or you're yeah. doing something and you're smelling this thing, versus. Yeah, and I think that sometimes, I don't know, I'm thinking, one time several years ago, there was a homeless guy who came into the tent and talked to me. I was the philosopher. And he said, and it was really quite profound, he said that he listens to music when he kind of has a vague, inchoate emotion. He didn't use that language, right? But, you know, he doesn't quite know what he's feeling, but he kind of knows. But then he sort of picks the song that then helps him figure out exactly what he's feeling at the moment. I think it's a very common, yeah. very common, like, oh yeah, that's the mood I'm in, right? Yes. And and you then define your mood, right, as a result of the music that you're now hearing, right? Yes. So there's this, there's this kind of symbiotic relationship between the music and your emotions, right? right? And so I think that maybe that doesn't quite happen with other art forms right. as much, right? right? Yeah. Know, that we, use music to locate our way. own yeah. being, yeah. right? Yeah. The only no. thing I could kind of compare it to, I guess, is how some people have like a good comfort movie or you have yeah. a movie that you watch that puts you in a certain yeah, mood. Yeah, that or might if be you're true. Yeah. feeling sad, you watch a certain movie or yeah. TV show or yeah. something. But again, yeah. it's, I feel like it's a little bit different than, than music is yeah. Yeah. in that way. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. So, all right, so to... Again, sort of to go full circle, right? To go full circle and to and to ask at the very beginning, you know, like in what way do you think that art is cognition at the end of all of this conversation? Yes. Do you think it is? And if so, how? And did you decide it was different for different art forms? And what did you end up um, what did you end up thinking? I feel like art is connected, inherently connected to to cognition in the sense that it's like the way that the artists are processing what they're going through and yeah. what they're creating and that's kind of their own cognition. It's like an element, it's like an external representation. Of, right. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> in its own way. And yeah. I think um, for the art viewer, I, I would say also yes in the sense that um, it allow it, it triggers something in our brain to process certain Things and, and um, connect. Uh, you, you you had two streams, I think, of thought about yeah. that, right? One stream was it allows us to sort of face things about ourselves that we didn't know, right? That we couldn't do it otherwise, right? Yeah. So I think that there was that part of it, right? So it was cognition in the way that it kind of got you to face things you couldn't face otherwise, right? Right. But then there was the other part of it, which was interesting to me, about how when we experience art, we constantly are kind of reconfiguring what we think about certain events and certain right. times in history. Right. So it seemed that it was cognitive in those yeah. two ways. Is that about yes. right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. now suddenly what's popping into my head is a few weeks weeks ago I went to the MoMA with a friend of mine and there was this one art piece that I could not get out of my head. It was a, a, a violin filled with corn. <laughs> it was literally just like a physical violin. They opened it up and filled it with kernels of corn and that was the so art you mean the piece. case was? Yeah, no, it was like they opened up the oh, violin The violin itself. itself. Oh. Yeah, and so they took kind of the lid off the violin and you look at it and it's just corn. And I still for the life of me cannot understand who, who did it i'm not sure 
I have a but picture I don't on my phone know I that piece. No, I know most of the stuff that's at MoMA, but I don't know that one. It was it. I it stuck with me because it was so absurd in my brain of like, how is this art? It's it's corn and a violin. I so deeply don't understand what this is trying to tell me, what it's trying to accomplish. I so don't get it. But also the fact that it's stuck in my brain two weeks later. I is, couldn't tell you anything else I saw in the museum. Yeah, just yeah. The corn violin. And I guess that's, I mean, now every time I see a violin, it, it makes me think of the corn violin. So I guess... It did its job. It did its job. job. <laughs> so, yeah. Even from serious music and serious yeah. art that really makes you feel a certain way and learn something, even a corn violin can, it can make you think about things. Yeah. Ponder, ponder, ponder. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was you. really great. I thank hope you enjoyed you. it. I did. That was fun. Thank you. Good, good. I appreciate All right. it. I can pull so, up the... Let me... I think I actually have a picture of the corn violin just so I can drop uh, and show you. You know, I, I was an art critic for a while. Oh. And so I could explain it to you if I knew what it was. But I have to go look at it because I don't know this piece and I don't know who um, the artist is. I don't have a name of the artist, but it is um, a corn violin. Can you just Google yeah. Corn Violin MoMA? Sure. And we can find out who it sure. is and what era it is and I'd love I'd love to know. Yeah. Well you I have your email address, right? Oh yeah, I can give it to no, you. No, Aaron's gonna take oh, okay. all that. And then I will I will look this up. It is Victor Grippo. G R I P P O? Yes. What year? Nineteen eighty. Life, death and resurrection. So apparently the corn violin is part it's 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 a dis part of a display of uh, of different it's like a collection of little pieces his idea is combining organic materials with found and sculpted objects to demonstrate processes of change and transformation first part is a disassembled violin filled with corn referring to an old technique used to delicately open string instruments the second and main component represents, it was these geometric lead containers with red beans inside, Ooh. which were germinated and allowed to grow until they split open the vessels. A uh, metaphor for the force and persistence mm. of life. It, it's connected to Argentina's, Argentina's military dictatorship. Oh, uh, he's Argentinian? Yes. He's Argentinian? Okay. Yes. I will look it up. I, I don't know this. I will look it up and I will email some more stuff to you. Thank you. No problem. Maybe I will finally understand the corn violin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe not like it. Maybe right? not like yeah. it. <laughs>